0: Welcome to China in Context, I'm Duncan Bartlett. Life changed profoundly for people in Hong Kong in the summer of 2020 when a tough new security law was introduced. Since then, the police have arrested dozens of people, many of whom have been charged with breaches of the law. In other parts of the world, their actions might have been seen as legitimate protests, but China regards them as acts of subversion. Joining me is Professor Steve Sang, Director of the SOAS China Institute, University of London. Steve, you were born and raised in Hong Kong. What was your reaction when the security law was introduced?
1: I was worried and very disappointed. I was not surprised because the Hong Kong basic law, which was Hong Kong's constitution after it became part of China in 1997, has a provision under its Article 23, that at some stage, Hong Kong will have to pass a security law. Now, what surprised me with the passing of the security law in 2020 was both the way how it was being introduced, which was beyond the the, uh, requirement of the basic law, and is not in accordance with the provisions in the basic law, and the contents of that law, it was much more draconian than it was remotely necessary.
0: So give us some context here. The security law followed months of protests, some of which were very noisy and angry. Did you feel that some sort of crackdown was inevitable?
1: Yes, I think some kind of crackdown was almost to be expected. Um, Frankly, I thought, some kind of crackdown might have happened sometime in 2019 when the protests were going on rather than have to wait until 2020. Now, why did I expect some kind of uh, strong response from the Chinese government should be expected? That's mainly because things changed in Hong Kong significantly, mostly in the nearly 10 years of Xi Jinping's government uh, rule in China from 2012. Before 2012, Hong Kong did not really have much of anybody advocating for self-determination, let alone the right to independence. All that happened because the Chinese government took a much more repressive approach to Hong Kong under Xi Jinping, and therefore the massive protest that happened in Hong Kong in the second half of 2019 really was a proof that the Chinese government's policy under Xi Jinping was backfiring. Even though protesters in Hong Kong were not protesting against Xi Jinping, they were protesting against an an unwanted extradition bill for getting people in Hong Kong to China. But from Xi Jinping's perspective, It could not but have been seen as a challenge to his authority. That being the case, a crackdown would have to happen.
0: I want to spend a minute here talking about language, the political language, because the Western media calls the Hong Kong protesters pro-democracy campaigners. The Chinese media describes them as an independence movement And I noticed that in early 2021, the Chinese president Xi Jinping was still talking about implementing one country, two systems. I thought that approach had changed. But Xi Jinping also referred to China as the motherland. He spoke of the principle of patriots governing Hong Kong. Can you help us understand the terminology here, please?
1: What we are dealing with here is one promise two interpretations. The promise of one country, two systems mean different things. People in Hong Kong and outside of China generally have one understanding of what one country, two systems, Hong Kong enjoying a high degree of autonomy means. It was understood to means that Hong Kong would be able to keep is system and weight of life that was in, in place before 1997 for 50 years until 2047. Now the Chinese government had a slightly different interpretation of that from the very beginning, but they largely were willing and able to keep up the facade for people in Hong Kong and outside to continue to believe that their interpretation of it was correct. Under Xi Jinping, that is being changed. It becomes something that not only is a matter of general principle that one country, two system means one country comes first, two systems is to be tolerated where appropriate. And it also means that when they say Patriots should be governing Hong Kong. It's not just that you do not say anything challenging the Chinese government, that you should show that you really love China under the Communist Party and Xi Jinping's leadership. So there is a basic change here in how the Chinese government feels about it. But since the Communist Party of China insists that it has a monopoly of the truth and monopoly of history, whatever it says the meaning of one country to system is, it must by the Chinese government be the correct understanding of the meaning of this principle.
0: The chief executive of Hong Kong though, says that since the security law was introduced, street violence has subsided, Criminals are being brought to justice through what she describes as an independent judiciary. And she insists that a stable environment is important for the prosperity of Hong Kong. It's good for domestic business. It's good for international business. She's got a point,
1: hasn't she? In the case of what Carrie Lam has said, I think she is right that street violence has subsided. She's also right that prosperity of Hong Kong is good for domestic and international business. Stability is required for prosperity of any country for investments, domestic or international, anyway. Where I think she really has made a big problem here is to describe how that end of street violence come about and what it means. She talks about an independent judiciary. Now, what happens with the end of street violence is the draconian nature of the security law in Hong Kong. Basically, every single act of protest that were practiced by the protesters in 2019 have been criminalized. So people cannot go out uh, to protest and demonstrate in 2020 as they were able to do previously. As to the independent judiciary under the security law, there is a requirement that any judge who does not hold the correct views on protests and protesters will not be allowed to sit. So it is a kind of, if you like, independent judiciary with Chinese characteristics, one that is totally predictable in terms of what the powers that be would like the judgment to be.
0: And America has also sanctioned individuals, including Chief Executive Carrie Lam, for undermining Hong Kong's autonomy, as they put it. And in response, China has moved to sanction some Americans, uh, including the former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. What's your view on that?
1: The sanctions that the United States have imposed on Hong Kong or Hong Kong officials, very carefully calibrated, and they are designed to inflict minimum damage on Hong Kong or Hong Kong people, but direct them against individuals. The effect is somewhat limited, but what we have seen is, for example, the chief executive Carrie Lam now not being able to uh, enjoy regular banking services because any international bank, or indeed for that matter, Chinese banks that offer banking service to Carrie Lam could face sanctions in the United States and therefore they would not provide banking service to her. So she just had to end up using a lot of cash. The biggest loss she has to suffer was borne by her son, who was pursuing uh, higher education in the United States and end up not being able to finish that. So it's a relatively small price for her to pay. Some of the other people being sanctioned are the senior Chinese government officials responsible for Hong Kong policy. They don't normally go to the United States anyway. They have no American assets and therefore the sanctions were pretty uh, irrelevant to them as to the Chinese countermeasures to sanction some Americans, particularly uh, senior officials of the Trump administration. Again, I think the impact is going to be more limited than the Chinese government thought. I think the Chinese government worked on the assumptions that American officials are ultimately looking to get lucrative contracts related to China when they leave government not all of them are so worried about that. And for those who are not really looking at uh, pursuing a post-government lucrative business contract related to China, it means very little to them.
0: So you're based at SOAS, University of London. So let's consider the UK's role here. Hong Kong is a former British colony and the British government has been sympathetic to the protests in Hong Kong. In fact, it's providing sanctuary to some people who want to move to the UK to work. It's offering them special visas and also to their families. Do you foresee a brain drain from Hong Kong with lots of talented people leaving?
1: I think a brain drain from Hong Kong is already unfolding and it will continue for a while. How extensive it will be remains to be seen. It's a dynamic process. A lot of it will depend on how uh, repressive and restrictive the Chinese and the Hong Kong special administrative regions government happens to be. The more they want to restrict the right of people in Hong Kong to relocate overseas, I think the more people will get frightened and would want to leave Hong Kong before the gate is slammed shut. As to the British government's policy, I think as a British citizen, I am very proud of what the government is doing. Um, The United Kingdom signed the Sino-British Joint Declaration in 1984 to settle Hong Kong's status beyond 1997. By doing so, the British government has an obligation to the people of Hong Kong, particularly those people who became British nationals in Hong Kong as a result of British rule in Hong Kong. So the British government's policies to honor that commitment to British nationals in Hong Kong is an appropriate one. It may not be something which the Hong Kong government or the Chinese government likes or approve of, but it is something which one would expect a democratic government with a sense of responsibility to its nationals should do.
0: The economic situation in Hong Kong is being affected by coronavirus. That's caused a lot of disruption. Nevertheless, looking at the economic numbers, the official forecast is for Hong Kong's economy to shrink by six percent for the whole of last year, 2020. That's a very poor performance compared to other parts of Asia, and particularly bad compared to China as a whole. What's happened to the Hong Kong economy?
1: In comparison with the Chinese economy, the Hong Kong economy is a completely service based post-industrial economy, whereas the Chinese economy is still at the height of its strength as an industrial economy. And that I think has a lot to do with how the two economies respond to the um, COVID-19 pandemic. Hong Kong takes the heat because global economic slowdown or recession. Um, if you are providing services and those services are not being required, then your economy shrinks. In contrast, once the Chinese government has managed to contain the COVID-19 pandemic in China and could restart industrial production, there were enormous pan up demands for the Chinese industrial outputs, particularly in terms of medical supplies where prices were inflated hugely and capacities had to expand to meet the new demands brought about by the pandemic. So it's not that surprising that this industrial economy, being the largest supplier of medical equipment in the world, recovers so much more strongly in the year of the pandemic, whereas the economic, financial, and legal services dependent economy of Hong Kong did not do Anywhere so well.
0: That's a very good point. I want to draw things to a close now. I'm not sure whether it's because of the new security law or because of coronavirus, but Hong Kong definitely feels calmer now than it did a year ago. But do you think there's tension below the surface? Could the protests bubble up again?
1: There is definitely a lot of tension under the surface. Now, whether the protest movement will bubble up again, I think depends on a huge number of variables. The British government has offered an option for a large number of Hong Kong people to leave Hong Kong and relocate to the UK. Other Anglo American democracies have also made similar arrangements to help people in Hong Kong who wants to leave to relocate. Now, if Those people who want to relocate are allowed to do so. We are going to see a lot of the people who are very unhappy with the way how things are happening in Hong Kong, moving out of Hong Kong, and it would substantially reduce the risk of the protest movement bubbling up again or bursting out into real protest movement again. But the Chinese government is looking at restricting people in Hong Kong from leaving for the UK under the British uh, national overseas passport scheme. So if the Chinese government follow up with that uh, in a serious way and continue to be very repressive, then you're keeping all these very unhappy people in Hong Kong and the repressiveness of the security law may not be enough to contain them and repress them over the long term. And the risk of protest movement coming up again would increase substantially. But at the moment, we do not know for sure which way things will go.
0: Thanks, Steve. And you can find out more about the SOAS China Institute, which is home to the largest community of Chinese studies scholars in Europe, on our website, which also provides information about courses, events and research. The website is SOAS, that's S-O-A-S dot A-C dot U-K. Alternatively, you can type SOAS China Institute into a search engine and it should pop up straight away. But until next time, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast.